Hi there. Thank you for joining us today here at Epping Presbyterian Church as we look at Exodus chapter 20. This sermon is titled, Sometimes It's Good to Be Afraid. Nobody needs more rules in their lives until they do. If this statement sounds familiar, it's because it's borrowed from the tagline of a TV commercial for one of the telecommunication companies in Australia. I won't name which company. The tagline says, You don't need Australia's best network until you do. In the same way, nobody needs more rules in their lives until they do. Underlining this statement is our attitude towards things we don't think we need until the situation arises when we do. Today we're not talking about phone networks, but about rules and authorities. Why do we need to have rules and authorities? Human beings should know better, except that we don't. Most of us live as if rules don't matter until our lives are impacted by chaos and destruction. The problem is that we have a holy God and we are sinful people. But we behave as if we already know it all, except that in real life, we know we don't. One of my favorite books on wisdom is written by two Christian counselors and medical doctors, Paul Meir and Todd Clements. The title of this book is a classic. It's called, What I've Learned Since I Knew It All, 12 Secrets to Living a Satisfied Life. Let me just read you some of the chapter headings and hopefully you will agree that wisdom in life is common but sometimes not so common. Some of the chapter headings are Life is not fair. Honesty is the best policy. Lies will catch up with you. Dating often leads to marriage. Marriage is hard work. Friends are worth their weight in gold. You will face temptation. Addictions aren't funny. Happiness is doing what you love. God has a plan for your life. And lastly, no one likes an adult child. In other words, take responsibility and grow up. Each of those little phrases is a chapter. The basic premise of this book is true wisdom can only develop when we acknowledge how little we really know. We don't know it all. We think we do until we get in trouble. Often, that is the time when we would listen to God. Are you listening now, my know-it-all friend? Exodus 19 and 20 represent the end goal of what I call Operation Burning Bush. God spoke to Moses from the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3 and commissioned him and Aaron to deliver God's descendants from unlawful slavery in Egypt. Operation Burning Booth is a two-man plus a big God operation which led to a full-scale war between Yahweh and Pharaoh. The goal of Operation Burning Bush was to bring God's people before God to worship Him at Mount Horeb at the Sinai Desert. The first part of the project was a resounding success. Pharaoh and his armies were utterly and decisively defeated at the Red Sea. And so after a period of desert journeying under very trying circumstances, the people arrive at the end point of the first part of their mission. Here they begin their covenant relationship with God, as we heard last Sunday. But things were not what they, they had expected under the circumstance. See, I think Israel was hoping for a celebration when they arrived at this moment, 
a big religious celebration. It's been a long road from slavery to freedom, from Egypt to Sinai. Therefore, bring out the welcome committee, pop the champagnes, and let's celebrate and have a party. If you want to see a picture of what that looks like, then go to Exodus 32, a couple of chapters later. There, when Moses was away, and the people were then left to do what their hearts really wanted to do, the whole community created an idol in the form of a golden calf, danced and partied before it. The golden calf did not appear out of nowhere. It was already in the hearts of the people before it appeared in form. So, coming to God at Sinai in the way that they did was not what they had hoped for. The restrictions, the boundaries, was all very rule-bound and restrictive. Nobody needs more rules and authorities in their lives until they do. The problem is that the God who rescued them was a holy God and Israel was sinful and stiff-necked, just like us. Already there were signs of trouble during the desert journeying. There were complaints. There were the inner tense murmurings. See, Israel wanted a God who would just provide. They wanted water. They wanted meat. They wanted certainty. Moses and Aaron struggled with their demands, but God was powerful and sufficient. God gave them what they needed and not what they craved. My guess is that Israel was disappointed when they arrived at Horeb. Disappointment with God is no doubt difficult, but sometimes it can also reveal to us whether we really know and trust this God or not. Israel wanted a God who would provide and guarantee their survival, a God they could see and touch and manipulate with offerings and sacrifices. Instead, when they arrived at Mount Horeb, they met a God who is holy, a God who speaks, a God who is unique, a God of justice and mercy, a God of love, and finally, a God who is sufficient. Sometimes it's good to be afraid before this God. The fear of this God is the beginning of wisdom for true success in life. Before we proceed, let's ask this God to speak to us today. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you, Lord, the God who has spoken through the fire and the thunder, the God who can also speak in a still small voice in our hearts. Today we come before your holy mountain and we want to worship you. We ask that you speak to us and we will hear. We thank you for our Lord Jesus who has given us this confidence and this freedom to enter into your most holy mountain to speak with you and to hear you speak with us. As the writer of Hebrews said, we have not come to a mountain that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, but we have come to the new heavenly Jerusalem because of Jesus, our high priest and king. Help us not to be like that generation of Israelites who turn away from you because of their cravings. Help us not to become like them who complain and murmur because who did not combine what they hear with faith so that that generation perish in the, in the wilderness. Save us, Lord. Have mercy on us today, so that we might hear you, fear you, and worship you rightly with faith and repentance. 
In your Son's precious name we ask. Amen. As we come to Exodus 20, verse 1, we encounter a God who speaks. Chapter 20, verse 1 says, And God spoke all these words. We worship a God who speaks. Exodus 20 is a speech, not edicts, not just a set of do's and don'ts. There is a danger that we see Christianity only as a religion of morality. It's all about rules and regulations to please a fussy God, a God whom we often portray as the cosmic killjoy. And therefore there is a danger that as we approach this chapter, we only see a set of rules and not see, actually, not hear the God behind these words. For we worship a God who speaks, and God spoke these words. This point is so important in our modern context, where morality is often argued as being about perspective. In other words, right and wrong is a matter of whose point of view are you looking at. That itself is problematic, because that kind of framework, in the end, leads to chaos, not order. But be that as it is, let's accept that for the moment. Even though I believe that morality is absolute and not relative to one's perspective. Today we say that everyone has a valid point of view or a story for who they are and why they do what they do. Recently our family has been following The Voice in Australia, the singing competition where celebrity performers like Guy Sebastian coaches upcoming artists. We as a family think that it will come down to a battle between Chris and Johnny. My apology if you don't know what I'm talking about, but stay with the illustration. I'm not sure if you pick up a common thread in this show, but almost every coach wants their singer to tell their unique story through their voice. Behind the voices are stories and personalities, and it animates the content and the context for the song. God is the same. God has a voice and He is a person. His story is perhaps the most important story we need to hear. In our society, we allow, we encourage almost everyone to have their own unique perspective and voice except for God. God is not allowed to have that. If we care about fairness, then what about God's perspective? God has a right to be heard. He has a point of view too and it will really benefit us to listen to his point of view. God spoke all these words at Mount Horeb. The God who speaks these words is the same God who speaks in Genesis chapter 1. All things were created by this voice, his words. We need to listen to these words because they come from the one who is the creator of the universe. He alone knows. In his wisdom and love, he often chose to give us what we need and not what we want. But we can trust Him because we know He is a good God. And so coming back to the text, it's almost like here is God standing on that stage and introducing Himself to His people. Verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. It's like God standing there and saying, Hey there! My name is the Lord who saved you. 
I've been waiting for you. I've been waiting for this moment to meet you. Here are some things you need to know about me so that we can start right on our relationship with each other. I'm the only God in the universe, so don't make another one, so on and so forth. This is God getting to know His people and allowing His people to get to know Him. God has a voice. He has a story. He wants to know us and He wants us to know Him. Further, let's not forget what a privilege it was for Israel, God's people, to even be able to hear these words. Many years later, a New Testament writer has this to say about these experience. Romans chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. It says, What advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Well, much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. In the beginning, God spoke. And here in Exodus 20, God spoke these words to his people. I'm sure Paul was thinking about Exodus 20. And what a privilege it was for God's people to be able to hear from the living and holy God and not be killed. No other nations at that time had this privilege. In the same way, we have received more than what Israel did. We have received Jesus Christ, the final word of God. Let's not think that being a Christian is about having a set of do's and don'ts. No, it's about being in a relationship where we have been saved from being slaves to being children. As someone recently reminded me, it's about being given a place at the table of God to converse with Him and to listen to His voice. Are you listening? Because God speaks. The God who speaks is also the God who is unique. Secondly, the God behind the words is the unique creator, the one and only God. Here I want to summarize the first three commandments out of the ten. I know I said that these were words, but as we as a church are so used to calling them the ten commandments. And so here God introduced himself as unique, reading from verse 3 to 7, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. God is unique. That's another way of saying that God is holy, set apart. God does not want his people to represent him with any images. He wants them to know that he has given them his name. Every other nation, after the battle with Egypt, knows that Israel belongs to God, to him. And therefore, his name is attached to this nation. God doesn't want his name to be associated with things that are unholy and unbecoming of his holy character and nature. Israel is to be a holy nation and priest. And therefore, God will not judge anyone guiltless who behaved in any way that misuses his name. 
So broad is this concept of not misusing the name of God that subsequent generation of Israelites avoided using the name of God totally. For us today, the image of God is now seen in Jesus, according to Colossians 1, 15-20. We live and act in Jesus' name. And so this commandment needs to be applied in new ways for us. As followers of Jesus, how we live our lives matter because the world is going to associate our actions with the name of Jesus. So let's recap our lessons again. Our God is a God who speaks. Our God is unique. Thirdly, God is a God of justice and mercy. Now where might we get that idea, you might ask? Well, it's from the Sabbath ruling. Reading from verse 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Sixth day you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigners residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the, seventh, the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Sabbath commandment is one that is often debated today by many ministers. The New Testament understand the day of the Lord to be fulfilled by the gospel of Jesus. Those who believe in Jesus has already entered into that day of rest, which is why we are no longer bound by the Sabbath ruling. Pragmatically, it might be difficult to follow this rule. I know of many good Christians who have to work on Sundays. They're challenged by the common understanding among the early Christians that Sunday is the Christian Sabbath. And what about those essential workers like all law enforcers and doctors? What if they are needed on Sunday to administer COVID testing? What they do is good and serves the nation. But have they sinned against this law? I don't think so. Clearly, we need to be flexible here in our understanding of the Sabbath. But even as we are flexible with the actual Sabbath ruling, we must not neglect the concept of rest. Now, this is one area that I need to preach to myself, especially recently uh, with the business due to the changes uh, as a result of the pandemic. Rest is important because we need to rest to go the distance. This was brought home to me when our family went on a holiday recently. We drove to double, and along the way, we saw many signs that says this. It says, stop, revive, survive. Now, that's a sign that says it all about why rest is important. See, it doesn't matter which day of the week, but there must, there must be at least one day when we decide to stop so that we can be revived and so that we can survive physically and spiritually. God spoke about Sabbath rest because He cares for us individually, but He also cares for those who are under us, our children, our employees, those whom we are responsible for, and the aliens who come to live with us. So God is a God who cares about justice and mercy for those who are weak and marginalized as well. We are not to exploit these people, but to also ensure that they have an opportunity to rest, to recharge, to survive and thrive. So where are we now? We now know that God is a God who speaks, God who is unique, God who is just and merciful. And next we realize that God is a God who is love. 
Fourthly, the entire law that we see here has been summarized as loved. Reading from Matthew 22, verse 36 to 40. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus has been asked. And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Loving the Lord covers the first four commandments, including the Sabbath commandment, which most people take it as part of our worship of this God. What follows after that is how we are to love one another. This includes the command to love our parents, not to murder, not to commit adultery, not to steal, not to give false testimony, and not to covet. The objects of these commandments are people whom we have a relationship with. We are to love them as we love ourselves. The command to love our parents is after the command to obey and love God. We might even include the Sabbath rest uh, for our children, employees and aliens as part of what it means for us to love others too as a result of loving God. We don't kill, steal someone's wife or husband or things and lie about it because that would be unloving. God is a God of love. We ought to follow His character and nature. It's important to note that the Bible isn't just about restricting these to actions, but it involves motives as well. For example, even if you didn't kill someone, but if you harbor hatred in your hearts for a brother or a sister, it is as if you have committed murder against him or her. You may not have sex with another person other than your spouse, but if you are lusted in your hearts, you have committed adultery. The final commandment is about coveting, which we understand to be as lasting for the things and objects which we have no rights to last for. It is, at its heart, discontentment against God. In the end, all these commandments are connected. James says in chapter 4 verse 1 to 3, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desire that battles within you? You desire what but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Finally, the God at Sinai is the God who is sufficient. God will provide for you what he thinks is best for you and not what you want. Sometimes he would even let us go for a period of time without our basic needs even. In the end, God is sufficient for us. We come to the basic questions, therefore, of what is it in the end that we need? We need the words that comes from God himself. The rules and commands he gave us are for our good. They are what we need to thrive and survive. Jesus says it best when he was tempted by Satan in the, de- in the wilderness. Matthew chapter 4 verse 1 to 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. 
Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Friends, do you see the connection in scriptures? In the end, our relationship with this God is based on God graciously revealing himself first to us. He spoke. He introduced himself to us. He loves us. But he's also a holy God. And therefore, we need to acknowledge that and fear that. Let me finish. Sometimes it's good to be afraid as the people were in Exodus 20. God was pleased with their fear. The people would then follow and obey this God. When was the last time the word of God has caused you to fear? Because you realize that when you hear his voice, you are a wretched sinner. You want to do good, but sin is always there, and you fear for your life. When did that happen? Or have your ears grown dull? Fear God for it is the beginning of all wisdom. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast.